Hi, this is Kate from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please leave a review to help others find and learn about the conversations I'm having on this podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. His name is Dr. Russell Ramsey. He is co-founder and co-director of the Penn Adult ADHD Treatment and Research Program, as well as a professor of clinical psychology in psychiatry in the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Russ is also the author of six books, all related to CBT and ADHD. And as of July 1st, 2023, he will officially retire from the University of Pennsylvania to launch his solo, independent, completely virtual telepsychology practice. You can find out more about Russ at CBT4ADHD. And the four is the number four. It's not spelled out. So CBT4ADHD.com. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Ramsey. Russ. Hey. I'll call you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for being here and sharing your time and expertise with us. Um, You have expertise in a lot of different aspects of ADHD, but I asked you today specifically to share your expertise with us about what CBT is, CBT therapy, and how it can help a person with ADHD. As a parent who's raised a couple ADHD kids, the common prescription for a person who has ADHD is to look into medication and look into therapy. And then when you kind of go to that next layer of therapy, you'll start to learn a little bit that CBT is kind of the choice or the recommended therapy to use when someone does have ADHD. Right. And then it's on to the parent to really kind of dig a little bit deeper on what is CBT? How does it work? How's it going to help? Should we do it? Et cetera. So I wanted to use this opportunity to kind of clear up and kind of give us a better education about what it is and how it can help. So let's start with kind of at the top is what is CBT therapy and how can it help somebody with ADHD? Right. CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And people will ask, how is it different than talk therapy? Well, it is a talk therapy. You're in a room talking or virtual these days. Um, What is different or what is emphasized more in cognitive behavioral therapy and what set it apart from the strict behavior therapy and psychodynamic Freudian-based therapies of the time um, was the focus on cognitions or our thoughts, how how we interpret what happens, what thought went through your mind when, um, and that that initial reaction and automatic thought um, has ripple effects on how you then feel, it affects emotions, and then your view of options about how to cope. Um, now, if I'd be presenting to an audience, I'd say, how many of you talk to yourself inside your head? And generally half the audience's hands would raise. And I'll say, those of you who didn't raise your hands, you know what you're saying? I don't talk to myself inside my head. Even if you say you don't do it, you do it. Um, and drawing attention to it, how, you know, what am I thinking about this situation? And one of the concepts is that oftentimes, especially if we end up not doing something that we wanted to do or doing something we didn't want to do or our mood shifts, whatever, maybe our thoughts are 
the language of CBT can be clumsy because distorted, but it just means maybe it's an incomplete interpretation. Maybe I'm filling in the blanks in an unhelpful way or glossing over things, but that attention to how our initial interpretation doesn't say that thoughts necessarily cause everything, but it's a nice entry point into what we're doing or not doing. So when it came to trying to find a therapy for folks with ADHD, because cognitive behavioral therapy, another thing it brought, well, behavioral therapy is pretty structured, but CBT brought a structure. What do we want to cover today? And how does that tie in with the goals and with ADHD, both because there can be wide ranging difficulties with ADHD, like with teens, with school and social and family life. Um, there's a lot to work on, but it also helps keep things on track. And then the focus on the cognitive. Well, how do you think about things? Even though that we're finding more evidence about the role of cognitions, but really about the behaviors, both the coping strategies for ADHD and what, what I'm want to say is there's no trade secrets about what works. Uh, shh, don't tell anybody. If you're procrastinating, you really should start earlier. Um, but it's the implementation. And that with eight, with I think with um, the executive functioning understanding and focus within CBT, that's been one of the main adaptations of CBT for ADHD in adolescents and adults, um, is the focus on the implementation of implementa implement uh, the implementation of executive functioning strategies, excuse me, and also along the way, the thoughts about those things, but also the thoughts about the self, self-esteem, um, relationships, what do others think about me? What are my expectations for others? It's, I'm sure a lot of good therapists draw on this a lot, even if they didn't train in it, but these are some of the ways CBT has been adapted for adults and adolescents with ADHD. With ADHD. So it yes. gives a little bit of structure mm -hmm. and it helps the ADHD person kind of um, be more thoughtful about their actions or okay, connect the actions. dots. How, how, I, how I describe it, because people say, yeah, people with ADHD will say, I know exactly what I need to do, but I just don't do it. Right. What good is talking with you going to do for me? And my answers over the year has become, I think we're pretty good at helping people understand how they don't do things. Not, oh, I procrastinated again. Let me work harder not to procrastinate next time. It's let's take a look at, did you actually have a plan for what you were going to do? And that led to the procrastination or you figured I'll get around to it eventually, but then never got around to it. So it may stem from all right, let's have a plan. Even if you have a plan, though, people say I'm great at making plans. Um, right. I, just, I just don't follow it. Um, <clears throat> well, then let's talk about your implementation. Do you have realistic expectations? Um, you know what? I'll just spend the weekend and I'll catch up on a whole semester's work of um, essays and things like that. Great plan. But when it gets to be Saturday morning, it's like, oh, this is unrealistic. So Realistic plans, again, the grandmother rules, the stuff we've heard before, break a large task down into small steps, or if you want to impress your friends, event segmentation and sequencing are the fancy phrases for it. But taking these things and understanding, all right, how do you think yourself out of it? Um, I have a plan, but I'll do it later when I'm in the mood to do it. You're never going to be in the mood to read Beowulf or something like that. Right. Also, what... What are your emotional reactions to the things you want to do? Maybe you have to do, but very often individuals with ADHD, adult, you know, children, adolescents, adults, senior adults 
have a history with the thing they want to do and have to do, but it's often not a positive or at very least a checkered history. Sometimes I'm great, but often not. So that consistent inconsistency makes it harder to get engaged. And maybe there's less of a foundation of confidence. All right. Yeah. Five page paper. That won't take me that long. And then I can go out with friends. Oh, five pages for somebody with ADHD might as well be 20. So breaking it down into specific actionable pivot points, including stuff like getting up on time, moving your body where it needs to go, maybe nothing too shocking, but Nothing too shocking for somebody without ADHD who might be able to bundle, bundle several steps into one move. Right. Let me work on homework. And then they know, okay, I'm going to start with this problem set. Then I'll finish with the writing assignment. And then that'll leave me enough time to study for the quiz tomorrow morning. Um, that all gets jumbled. So we need to tease it apart more and come up with more specific plans and externalize it in a calendar or a schedule or a, a Google calendar. I get no money for from Google for mentioning them. Um Stuff we know, but with nuance and specificity going through and personalizing it to how it's going to work for the individual. So that's another way because people say, oh, yeah, I have to use a planner and whatnot, but it's more essential for folks with ADHD and that and working with somebody who understands ADHD and can empathize with that, but also still support um, the change process yeah. and using some of these skills that are necessary. Yeah. Okay. So here's how is this, how is CBT? therapy different than like an ADHD coach? I have this discussion with friend and colleague, Dave Gawork, who is the uh, the founder of the ADD Coach Academy. And we've done you know, workshop sessions on this. Okay. I, I My take, and coaches can disagree, but I, I, I don't think they'll disagree on this. You know what? The coaching, I think, is also about implementation and implementation of behaviors. Um. I mean, there are some differences in terms of um, the fields and who does them or the credentialing and things like that. Like I'm a licensed psychologist so that it's a licensed profession. ADHD coaching is not at least yet a licensed uh, profession, which there's some more limitations and things uh, placed when there is such a license. But in terms of the behavioral principles, um, and what we're trying to accomplish, I think it's really in the same ballpark. So there's a lot of overlap, but um, with like, I'm a licensed psychologist. So I'm also trained to treating depression, anxiety, and some of the comorbidities that come, come along with ADHD, yeah. also making the diagnosis. Whereas I, there's many coaches I respect who would probably have a good eye for ADHD, but may not have been systematically trained in some of uh, using some of the measures or the structured interviews and likewise for things like um, depression, anxiety, uh, other coexisting factors. Yeah. Like teen girls with ADHD eating disorders. Uh, there's a higher risk there. So um, there's some different like training and, but there's a lot of overlap and very often can work, work together quite well. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense to me too. You know, like with um um, ADHD too, there's, you know, you're more sensitive, your central nervous system is, I guess if you needed to figure out how to run your nervous system better, you could do that with your CBT therapist right. versus I don't think an ADHD coach is really going to kind of focus on those kind of things. Probably. But I, I would say that, you know, sometimes let me use the, the example of anxiety. Um, because 
very, you know, anxiety, at least in terms of diagnoses for adults with ADHD, it's consistently the number one, you know, followed pretty closely by depression. And anxiety is tied in with uncertainty. And I, for my money, ADHD is an uncertainty generator. I know I can do it, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get myself to do it today when I have to do it. Right. So that consistent inconsistency, and that generates anxiety. And, you know, we have a great way to cure anxiety immediately, which is escape and avoidance, but it only you know, works for a little bit, but not the next day. Um, so often once somebody's coping better, and this can happen with medications too, the stimulant medications, which some people have an anxiety response to stimulants um, as a side effect, but sometimes people, once they take a stimulant, and they're coping with um, ADHD better, their anxiety goes down because now they feel more on top. So when they're approaching things, yeah, homework is still homework. Doing income taxes is still doing income taxes. Nobody in their right mind will ever be in the mood to do it, but probably more more confidence, more consistency, not 100% of the time, but better where we're closer to being on top of things. And with that, we have more peace of mind and less anxiety. So- Sometimes a coach could work on planning and having a system, but if it works effectively and it's personalized to the the adult, the the teen, and they're using it on their own and having some success, that can indirectly, without directly going after the sensitivity, um, maybe help with that. But there may be other things like the rejection sensitivity and other interpersonal things. Um, And and sometimes it's where coaches and psychologists or other therapists can work together um, on these things. And, And- Let's bring in the physicians and psychiatrists too. Yeah. It takes a whole team, right. You know, to help with these things. Um, okay. So if you met with a CBT therapist, like how long would you need to meet with them? All right. Therapist cop out answer. It depends. Everybody's different. Um, but that can be defined. So people will ask, well, like what's an adequate dose of CBT in the studies of adults and and also some studies of teens. And I'll do a shout out for um, Susan Spritch and Steve Saffron, who, you know, some of the early, you know, randomized controlled studies of adults with ADHD, CBT for adults with ADHD, um, they had very, they had a lot of success and their manual and um, client workbook, Mastering Your Adult ADHD are published and in their second edition. Well, Susan headed up also a similar study of CBT for teens that has produced um, overcoming ADHD in adolescence. Again, a therapist manual and a client workbook. So it, since we're talking about adolescence, uh, but I think this is also true of adults, yeah. an, an adequate dose of CBT. Now you may need more than that to you know, follow up and stay on top of organization and not procrastinating, things like that. Generally probably about 12 to 16 meetings. And in some ways, depending on the person, maybe spread out over a longer time, a semester, a school year, whatever, but yeah, maybe a more within an academic year. But it's as much what is done outside the meeting, virtual or in person, the implementation of the skills. But about those 16 sessions, you can get the general gist of it. Now, people may continue on maybe with regular sessions or booster and including throughout a semester, one of the nice things about students is that there's always something to practice on in terms of homework, but also juggling homework with extracurriculars and social life and family life or college students and whatnot. 
So it is a rich domain where a lot of positives can be. Um, there's a lot of um, reinforcement and a lot of uh, chance for positive outcomes and building up some successes there. And also getting, being able to um, f- uh, stop and overcome any difficulties or problems earlier on. Right. But six, 16 sessions, but it people will do like monthly follow-up sessions or every other week. So it really depends on on the situation, comorbidities. Okay, and, with yeah, the CBT. Learning differences and things, yeah. Okay, so with CBT though too, are you able, is that like a time with the therapist to work on things like of trauma or shame, things that are like, maybe have gotten in your way in life that are not making you feel, you know, family dynamics could be rough, you know, CBT working on those things too, or is that more like a psychologist helping? I would say it can. Well, I mean, I, and I'm working under the assumption that the, the person doing CBT has been trained in it. And so that's not, that might be a faulty assumption and some sort of light licensed mental health care yeah. professional okay. or, or, but um, within, within the manuals and when for the manuals that come from like the NIH funding, because one part of the reason they're like 12 to 16 sessions is that's all um, the large organizations are going to pay for. And it is going to be specifically, you know, people with comorbidities um, who are trying to get entry to the study won't be included, excuse me, in the study because they're looking for, for lack of a better phrase, pure ADHD. Just to make sure, is this cognitive behavioral for ADHD or are these depressed individuals? And we already know CBT for depression works. I'm just pitching that the manuals that you might buy, if you get like um, the Saffron and Spritch manuals or you know, like one of, you know, we, we didn't have external funding. We did um, open studies, which, um, but like Mary Salanto, Alexander Philipson in Germany, some of the other uh, colleague, friends and colleagues within the CBT field, um, the manuals will be f- focused on CBT. Now, the reality in clinical practice, which all those friends and colleagues would agree with this, when you take the manual and you're using it in the community, yeah, people are coming in with depression, anxiety, family issues, stress problems. Maybe um, they have COVID too, or long COVID, right. and they're or substance uh, use, right? Substance use, all the free yeah. range, you know, the free range human stuff. That's the craft of therapy, and why it it may go beyond the twelve to sixteen sessions, because yeah, there can be trauma reactions, like I mentioned, the interpersonal, the rejection sensitivity issues, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the comorbidities. Even though my experience has been, if the depression and anxiety seem to be related to ADHD. Some of the ADHD focused things like getting up and started on things, having success experiences themselves help reduce and are consistent with dealing with depression or anxiety, like behavioral activation for depression. I don't feel like doing things. I'm doing less. I'm isolating from other people. Well, can we have a plan to go out with friends and also a plan for keeping up with your homework and then mood should improve and also like if the uh, homework anxiety, paper, you know, writing anxiety, if there's some successes getting things done on time, then maybe the anxiety goes down there. So I think there are ways within somebody experienced with the ADHD and the the other things that CBT can do. Um, some of these things can be bundled in, but also, yeah, if we're dealing with trauma or whatnot, part of the question would be, is something like trauma, obsessive compulsive disorder, I mentioned an eating disorder, is it has it reached a level where maybe that requires more specialized care 
outside of the CBT for adult ADHD. Okay. Had experience with people he, they might, and I'm talking about adults where they might've gone through um, an evidence supported uh, therapy to deal with trauma. And then they say, I think I got a handle on that, but I'm still struggling with ADHD. Then I'd pick up on it. Um, And likewise, things like OCD where sometimes it's just sequencing. Yeah. Okay. And so it it is making me bring to this question, like, does it depend on, so is the level of maturity important for the ADHD year? Because, I mean, I think schools will say, go to therapy, right? Everybody just kind of says, if your child's struggling, go to therapy. But I'm listening to the CBT therapy, and it's kind of like, you got to make sure your child's ready, right? I think think they're ready. The readiness is the thing. Yes, you know, Russ Barkley um, has this quote, and it's not evidence-based, but, you know, his experience, how, like, with ADHD and the executive functioning difficulties, it's almost like, take the chronological age and reduce it by 30%, and that's, like, the executive functioning age. Um, So, like, a 20-year-old, I I mean, at some point, you're going, oh, what what does that mean for a 72-year-old? But, like, a 20-year-old, it'd be like a 40 year old. And that might be a little much, but I think you get the gist. It's like a guideline. It's a way to think about it. But I think it's more, and we see this with adults, the readiness for change. And it doesn't have to be, yes, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to have a planner. I'm going to write down everything. But at least there's enough of curiosity or things, for lack of a better phrase, not working out with business as usual, that somebody's curious about, could this be better? And maybe it's Maybe there's buy-in for like, I'm in danger of um, not being academically eligible eligible to play on my sports team in my school or some other consequence that all of a sudden, all right, this is having effects. This isn't just, it's stupid that we have to write uh, essays and read Shakespeare. This is going to get in the way of the, this my, my role in the soccer team. So I think with some yeah. buy-in, and I think most therapists and, and probably coaches too, because, and the other thing coaching I think is really good is with supporting academics um, can help with that and help dig down to find enough and small enough and relevant enough things to start with. Even sometimes like the use of a planner I see with college students, but also younger is, all right, let's just start with your social calendar. Where do you want to buy, you know, find time to go to the school's basketball game to spend time with friends. And then maybe we start working in, all right, when are you going to start getting homework done? And which assignment is the most ways to get in there and start trying things outside of session that, and this, this is something central to CBT. It's about having an impact in day-to-day life. And there, there'll be like three steps forward, two steps back, but moving in the right direction, accumulating, you know, positives and building on that, but also having the felt experiences of, okay, I didn't feel like doing it, but I was able to get started earlier and I worked on it for 45 minutes and I felt a lot better and I was more on top of the assignment than if I waited till the last minute. Yeah, okay. And do you believe in that philosophy of like planting seeds in an ADHD person, young adult, teenager, that even there is some philosophy of like at least start planting these these seeds of maybe what CBT is in this instant, right? No, I, I, I'd agree with that. You know, we're giving principles because a lot of times people will like sort of circle around them for a while and maybe try them a little bit. 
all right, Ramsey wants me to use a planner. I'll just, I'll just write it down here or, or I'll like write it on my hand. And, and you know what? I'm all for, if it works, it doesn't have to be the Ramsey way or the Saffron way or things like that. There might be a starting point, some sort right. of planner system, but if somebody's able to configure that or personalize it in a way, if it works, great, that that's do it. So, but that's a long-winded academic. Yeah. yeah I think some of the skills and you know, working around and personalizing them and realizing that the individual college student, adolescent, you have choice, but it can't make you do something. But there is what's called the stage of change model. And I think it's um, also related to motivational interviewing, but it talks about, and it, it was based on research on um, changing health-related behaviors, following doctor's recommendations pretty much, I mean, flossing is a great example. We all know we have to floss and, or we should anyway. And yes. it's hard. I don't think I've ever put floss on a shopping list in my life. Um, so you're not a flosser. <laughs> and I heard about that. I've never had a cavity though, but I've heard about yeah, that. Okay. My recent dental visit. And I said, you know, I'm a psychologist and I help people with behavior change. And I always yeah. But I've been better the last week because um, it's probably my stubborn. Because you were prompted by your dentist, right? Well, yeah. Well, by the hygienist. The, the dentist says I'm doing fine, but I, I knew it. But anyway, we're playing around. You don't need my dental history. Um, no, but the idea of... Um, with the motivational interviewing, it is similar to what we're talking about here, planting seeds, but meeting the person where they're at, which sounds so simple. But the stage of change model, there's pre-contemplation. It's not my problem. Everybody else has the problem. Yeah, my parents want me to see you. It's not my problem. It's their problem. It's teacher's problem. Yeah. Contemplation is, all right, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not handing things on time, but what am I going to do about it? Um, pre-contemplation, contemplation. Oh, I'm blanking. PC preparation. That's all of a sudden the person's trying to do it their way. Okay, I'll try to write things down a little bit, and they're sort of doing it their way, or it'd be sort of like, um, I don't know, somebody with a drinking problem. They say, okay, I'm not going to drink the hard stuff. I'll just just drink beer, even though they're right. drinking, still causing them problems. But they're trying to do it their way, um, and maybe it works. And but then finally, there's action where somebody goes, okay, I got to take this seriously. And then you start seeing change, but it's it's very vulnerable. Um, and then there's maintenance, where it's pretty much I'm on top of things, but I just have to be wary. Like after spring break, I usually come back and I didn't get as much done on break as I wanted to. And then I'm it's getting close to summer vacation, and I'm not as diligent about getting. Yeah, you know, what are the vulnerabilities or the relapse? You know, concerns and the relapse rate for ADHD is 100. percent yeah, because uh, you're going to get distracted. You're going to forget something. You're going to start late. I mean, also, that's probably true for human beings in general. But it's not whether it happens. And again, another place to deal with, you mentioned guilt and shame or other unpleasant emotions and also the negative thoughts. So, yeah, I do it for a little while or messages we hear for other people. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You do better for four, four or five weeks and then you always slip back um, the external messaging, which can get encoded. But these are sort of things where working on. Okay. We have to be, um, pay attention to that five or six week mark. How are we going to navigate that differently? So you don't backslide the way you have before it becomes another problem with a potential solution. And, and again, it might be more seeds that we're dropping. Yeah. And I think it's more productive when it happens with the therapist versus with your parents. <laughs> Oh, and you know what? I'm probably, I'm probably saying- Or your wife or husband or whatever, right? Yes, yes. 
probably very often it's many of the same things maybe said differently or it's just a different dynamic because you know for romantic partners spouses you you don't want somebody hanging over you because that it it, it right. can replicate that parent child thing which is the opposite of what you want with a you know any sort of committed you know romantic relationship and with you know adolescence there is that individuation um and this is where sometimes like sitting in with the therapist, even though it's the same stuff, it is a different relationship. And it's not a bash your parents thing. Um, it's understanding, yeah, that these, these are tools that work. Um, nobody in their right mind is in the mood to do homework, but what's in it for you? Um, how good will, you, will your future self feel at eight o'clock if you're able to get the, I don't know, the 500 word reflection paper done earlier rather than Fun, fun, fun. Oh, eight o'clock. Now I have to do work and it's getting in the, in the way of other things I'd rather be doing right now. Right, right. Okay. So if a parent was considering CBT therapy, I would kind of like, should you, how a parent should advocate really, or, or maybe interview therapists before they go into something to, to realize where the child, where the child or the young adult is at in their life and kind of maybe what support they're going to need. And it isn't always by default CBT. Yeah, or coaching. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, for the therapy part. Um, yeah, I would say you could probably set up and do interviews. I know with um, like with um, the Spritch Safran Overcoming ADHD and Adolescence Program, they have work, worked in, they have the 12 session model for the teens. There's also a couple optional. Now, again, they're going by this model that they did they had funding for, so it was limited. It can go beyond what I'm about to say. Yeah. But even in the book, they have like a couple sessions, two sessions within the 12 session model, parents and teen. So what is ADHD? Let's get on the same page of what the goals are. What's realistic? You know, things like that. Um, and then there's also two meetings just with the parents without the teen. The teen knows that they're having the meeting. But also one of the benefits of some of the behavioral programs for younger children with ADHD that involve parent training is very often, in addition to like, you know, the child having skills, the change in the parent's mindset and the negative thoughts the parents can have about right. their efficacy as parents. Oh, or it must be the worst parents. And, and we don't know what we're doing and it's frustrating. And, oh, can't you just get up? What if we ask you to get up? And having some strategies so the parents can feel better about what they're trying and also normalizing frustrations and dealing with their own assessments of themselves as parents. And also both with children and adolescents, and it's not bad for adults too, also having times where you go, tell you what, let's just, let's just go outside and play or go do something as a family. And we're not worried about the behavior program. We're just hanging out together. Yeah. Um, and having positive experiences. And yes, we have to get homework done. But if we go, okay, I'll be biased. We'll go, let's go see a, a Philadelphia 76ers game or a Golden State Warriors game. Um, let's just go and have fun. And yes, yeah. there's rules to follow and stuff like that. But uh, we're not worried about you know, like earning points right now. So having just general positive experiences and everything, everything doesn't have to be a teachable moment. The moment. But also helping the um the parents' mindsets and having the parents' skills and making sure the parents' expectations are realistic. Yeah, there will be setbacks. And but we're looking at changing the ratio because I think what happens, I use the example of um procrastination because it's probably like 
for my money, the, the main yes. thing for adults. Let's and just say for kids. Somebody, well, yeah, everybody. <laughs> um, let's just say somebody comes in and says, you know, I probably only follow through on one out of five of my plans, 20%, and then they're doing work and now they're three out of five, which is like, what, a 200% improvement? Yeah. But they and others may focus on the two that they're still not doing, the two out of five that they're yeah. still not doing. And my line is, if we invented a medication that went from one to three, we're billionaires. But because it's behavioral and it gets at the individual or the parents, it's like, we have to do more. And I get it. There may be things like if you hand in an assignment late and you lose a letter grade or you get a zero, there may be consequences. Um, But generally, it's moving in the right direction. We want to celebrate the and and build on the successes, uh, the seeds that are sprouting. And yeah, maybe still have to work on the two, but we're never going to get at or stay at 100%, even though there may be some things. And um, for both adolescents and uh, their parents, um, there was a nice book by Arthur Robin and Russ Barkley, um, 80, oh, or was it, it was by Arthur Robin, I'm sorry, on his own. Ar- Arthur and Russ, the other Russ, um, had a nice book on defiant teens. Mm-hmm. Um, Art, you know, Art Robin had a nice book on ADHD and adolescence and talked about, you know, the, the teens can have ruination thoughts. If you don't let me go to this party, you've ruined my life. And, but the parents can have similar, the parent versions of, oh my gosh, they're never going to amount to everything. They're going to be living right. with us at 40. They're never going to get through and they're never going to graduate. They're going school. to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, reel it back in. And yeah. I mean, this is not to say that there can't be some serious situations, but Usually they're more workable and getting people on this. And the parents may be understanding um, the the adolescence mood or anxiety reactions, at least the sensitivities. Um, and, you know, also with the, um, the, the adolescents understanding where the parents are coming from and, and that they have a role in their autonomy in earning back privileges. And there are things that they can do. Um, so there's discussions on both sides, but um it does, it can involve the parents. And like I said, in the model, I mean, it doesn't have to be limited to this, um, but, you know, having uh, meetings as the family, if you will, uh, whatever that, it, however that's constituted. And also, you know, with the, with the teens knowledge, um, meetings with um, the parents alone, just to talk about from the sort of the executive committee, if it's yeah. at least a co-parent family. So some parent education. And so you've touched yeah. on this a little bit. So there is a model with the insurance companies that this can be covered. Um, yes, it is a psychological treatment. So, and I think with the, and I forget the, 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 um, the insurance equity act a few years ago, I forget it's, it's a better name than that, but where mental health was equal with, you know, I mean, mental is physical. a physical ailment. Yeah. So it, it, it can be covered by insurance. Um, it depends whether the therapist accepts insurance. Um, but, um, but even then you can typically petition your carrier. It, it probably doesn't work with HMOs, like something like, I think Kaiser Permanente is an HMO still. So my under at least the HMOs out our way, if you if you go outside the HMO, you're on your own. They're not going to reimburse anything for out of network benefits. But other plans, if you submit your if your uh, psychologist or the clinic doesn't accept your insurance up front, which is to copay, you can submit um, your payment 
uh, yeah, for out of network and that kind of network. thing. Yeah. yeah. And Kaiser, if they're not going to let you go out of network, they should be right, right. providing the service. Right. Especially for well, ADHD. You know I've, I've had a handful of times, and it was back in the early days, where I'd write a letter saying, you know what, this is a specialty treatment. And, you know, the Penn Adult ADHD program was probably at the time, or at least this is what I said in the letter, to my knowledge. Um, yeah, we're like the only one that really provides this, you know, specialty treatment and evaluation the way we do. Um, and I've had a handful of people back in the day, this is before, um, but, you know, in a couple cases, they got, they got their insurance to pay for it, but yeah, I, if you're willing you know, to fight for it, it's, it's been a while since I've, I've gotten that. And now there's probably more people who are thankfully specializing in ADHD. Yeah. And the CBT. Okay, Russ, thank you for all your time. Is there like, as we wrap up, you've been a wealth of information and wisdom. Is there anything that you'd like to words of wisdom as we wrap it up? Um, You know what? One of the benefits right now, as odd as it, as sad as it is to say that about everything that's transpired over the last three years um, with access um, there is for psychologists, what's called SIPACT. It's a credential it's like a driver's license. Like I'm licensed to drive in Pennsylvania, so I can drive in any other state in the United States as long as I'm licensed and follow their rules. It is sort of like a psychologist like driver's license. I'm licensed in the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania as a psychologist, but I have the SIPAC credential. So states who are part of this consortium, like Colorado is one, Ohio, Virginia, somebody from Virginia could reach out. I could meet with somebody virtually virtually in Virginia, crossing state lines, but it is allowed because I have this credential. So even if somebody goes, I don't have a specialist in ADHD within my region, within my state, yeah. but you can look you know, for ADHD programs out there or experts. If, if they're a psychologist and they have this credential, I don't know how it would work with prescribers, but you might have more access than you've ever had before. So it might be worth a look-see to see if people who are in the know or about cognitive behavioral therapy for ADHD, um, or maybe, um, how do you begin to search for that learning differences? Um, I would say, um, in general for ADHD experts going to Chad and Ada, uh, Ada is the attention deficit disorder associate, uh, uh, association for adults. Um, in terms of specifically for CBT, you can find some people on, on those professional organizations. And I think APSARD, the American Professional Society for ADHD and Related Disorders, oh, might okay. be trying to come up with, um, you know, with their professionals, you know, a, a wealth of healthcare professionals. And then CBT specifically, but you have to look to see if somebody specializes in ADHD. Um, the Association of Behavioral and Cognitive Therapy, ABCT, the National Cognitive Behavioral Organization. Then there's also the Academy of Cognitive and Be- Behavioral Therapy, which is an organization that um, uh, sort of um, a, not not a licensing, I'm blanking on the term right now, um, like a board, certi- a board certification organization. Um, okay, and what you're saying is somebody needs to be trained in CBT and ADHD. I would say, I mean, there's probably a lot you of good psychologists. Like friend and colleague, Ari Tuckman, he is a world ADHD expert who's in the Western suburb, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Check him out. Um, I've heard he, his name. Yeah, he's good with he's good with adolescence too. I'd have him on. I'm really good at talking myself out of things. <laughs> People have come to me to be a keynote speaker and I say, you know who you really want who would be really good? No, no. Uh, but, you know, Ari, Ari is great and he's worked a lot with teens too. 
Um, he would, he, I don't know if he has the SIPAC credential, but he'd be somebody worth, you know, checking out. So I, I forget why I brought him up, but he, oh, because I don't, to my knowledge, he has not had formal CBT, but he, he did write a book. His first book back 2007 is the integrative treatment of adult ADHD, which, um, is very good. So, um, now the thing CBT has going for it. Wait, is Ari a psychologist? He is a psychologist. Sorry, I didn't make okay, that. Okay, but he's not necessarily trained in CBT, but he but, yeah, has ADHD. He, he's a world expert in the, okay. in the therapy. You see, the thing that cognitive behavioral therapy has, it has the research behind it, so it's considered an evidence-supported treatment you know, by the American Psychological Association. So it sort of has that branding. And this is not to say that there's not other real, really good therapists um, out there for adult ADHD. So that's where sometimes you go into the network and through word of mouth, like if somebody reached out to me, like I recommend Ari and I don't go, he doesn't know CBT. So just give him a call and be nice and make him feel right. good. And go see <laughs> no, he, you know, he's, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, but um, yeah, but there's other ways to look to see if somebody's had training in CBT and, and also has a familiarity with ADHD. Yeah. But there, there's other really good clinicians out there and coaches and other good options too. Yeah. Okay, good. You gave us a whole list. I'll list them in the um, show notes for this podcast. But if you're looking for a properly trained therapist, that's, you've given us a whole list to kind of build your network. And crossing the state lines is a good tip too. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Russ. I really appreciate your time. Happy to be here. Thanks for the questions and thanks for having me.